0: Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's episode, we are going to take a journey back in time and look at the founding of the village of Verona, which is a forgotten community that once was a rival challenger to Battle Creek. Normally on Sundays, I have a guest on this show but this Sunday I was unable to procure a guest due to scheduling difficulties with a lot of people being on vacation for spring break so I hope to have a guest on board for next weekend's podcast interview but today I thought we would venture back in time and do this story because I've had a lot of interest in this one so come along and join me So the subject of Verona has always been a bit of a curiosity for me. I, I live not too far from that area where the village once stood on the north side of Battle Creek. And it used to be an independent village way back in the day. And I thought many years ago when I started doing videos that this would be an interesting story to explore. And I made a video on this. Oh, it must be about a year and a half, maybe two years ago now. And it's out there uh, on my YouTube channel. And it's uh, pretty detailed on the early founding of the village of Verona. And I've had a lot of people that really reach out to me about that story. And uh, I was recently asked by a genealogical group that meets over in Marshall to come out and speak on the subject of the village of Verona as well as the lost village of Harmonium. And so I prepared a lot of material for that presentation last week. And I thought, well, this would be... An interesting topic for a podcast episode for this Sunday, because this is just a story that uh, the more I research it, the more material I find about Verona, and there's a lot more probably that could be told about it if I really dug in uh, with some of my researching skills today, as opposed to when I first researched the story two years ago. So I thought I would take you through the timeline of the founding of the village and some of the players that were involved and the sequence of events that came before the village was founded and how it came into existence, because it's always interesting to learn about these communities that no longer exist. To fully understand how Verona came into existence, we must first explore the early settlement of Battle Creek to understand what was going on in that area because one of the key players involved in establishing Verona was involved with that as well to a greater or lesser degree. So Sands McCamley filed a claim for land on the confluence of the Battle Creek and Kalamazoo rivers in 1831. That was how Battle Creek first became conceptualized and he came across with so many other veterans of the war of 1812 and land speculators that year in 1831 when the land was made available the lower counties had just been all organized and mapped out and surveyed and they were divided up into parcels of land and made available to investors from the east at a dollar and 25 an acre So you had a lot of these land speculators coming over early on, right when that land was released. Some of the pioneers arrived in 1830. For example, Sidney Ketchum, who founded the village of Marshall, had arrived during that year, but most arrived in 1831. And in that group was Sands McCamley. Now, Sands McCamley arrived in the area known today as Battle Creek, and he saw the proximity of the two rivers that are in downtown. And he thought to himself, wow, I could channel a mill race between these two rivers because one is at a higher elevation than the other. And that would give me a rapid flow. It would make a perfect center of a village that we could found on milling, which is one of the key things that they were looking for when they wanted to settle in areas. They were looking for great settlement locations to establish mills. And there were a tremendous amount of mills established in southwest Michigan during those years. And they are the beginnings of most every village in the lower 14 counties, there was a mill established usually as the first industry in the community. And typically it was a lumber mill because from a lumber mill, you could build houses, you could uh, cut boards and you could build structures and things like that. And it also allowed you to have a resource to build other mills at a much rapider rate. So building a lumber mill was typically the first thing that they would build. The second thing they would build would be a grist mill so that they can grind corn or wheat into flour and have a food source for uh, baking and cooking and everything else from the grains in the area. And farms could be established and they would support the grist mill or grain mill and they were that was part of the agricultural establishment of the southwest Michigan region. So typically when you see the founding of any village the first two mills that you would see established would be a lumber mill followed quickly by a grist mill of some sort with a few minor exceptions in different areas. So Sands McCamley saw this area he said this is perfect for the founding of Battle Creek I'm going to head on over to the land office. And he went on down to the land office at that time in White Pigeon, Michigan, that had been established right when the lower counties were all organized and released. The early land office in 1830 was over in Monroe, and there was another one established at White Pigeon, Michigan. So Sands went over there, and he went to go file his claim for the land, And lo and behold, three other men had already gotten there before him and filed claims on the same parcel of land. And this was an 800-acre piece of land that covered that whole downtown area of Battle Creek. One of the men who had filed the claim was named Jonathan Guernsey. The other two were lost to history, because what happened when they all met there at the land office is that Sands McCamley and Jonathan Guernsey bought out the other two men from their interest in the claim, and the two of them conceived the idea to split the claim. Now, when the land claim was filed at the land office, they would only permit one name to be on the deed, so Guernsey, having gotten there first had his name put on the deed. So that purchase of land in downtown Battle Creek was forever known as the Guernsey Purchase. And the gentleman's agreement that Sands McCamley and Jonathan Guernsey had was that they would meet again in Detroit in October and divide up the land and they would go about the establishment of the city and move in the direction of platting a village for downtown and establishing the mill race and all of that. But what happened is that when Jonathan Guernsey went home to New York and told his wife about his purchase, she emphatically said, I am not moving to the wilderness. And there was nothing that he could do to persuade her. And so she held firm on that. He had to give up his dream of establishing a pioneer village in the wilderness. So, Instead of going back to Sands McCamley and honoring his agreement, he went and did something different. He turned and he sold the 800 acres of land because he had the controlling interest. And he sold it to Ezekiel Guernsey and Phineas Sackett, who bought half of that Guernsey purchase, and the other half he sold to a man by the name of Nathaniel Barney. And so those three gentlemen owned 100% of the Guernsey purchase at that point. And Sands McCamley was basically out of the deal. It wasn't until 1834 that Sands McCamley was able to work himself back into the deal when he bought out Ezekiel Guernsey and Phineas Sackett's half of the Guernsey purchase. So at that point in 1834... Sands McCamley owned half of the Guernsey Purchase, and Nathaniel Barney owned the other half. Now, along comes a gentleman by the name of Ezra Convass. Ezra was the son-in-law of Nathaniel Barney. He had married Nathaniel Barney's daughter. And he was a general in the New York Militia, and he was born in Vermont and moved to Silver Creek, Chautauqua County, New York, when he was a young man. And he came and visited Michigan with another pioneer by the name of Nettabye Angel in 1832. And he was pleased with what he saw. His father-in-law owned half of the Guernsey Purchase at that point. He said to himself, this is great. There's a lot of land in this area still to be bought. And he returned to New York and made arrangements to move his family. His brother Samuel Convis came later that same season and made a permanent home in Battle Creek. It would be almost a year later that Netabaya Angel, in the company of Nathaniel Barney, would return to Battle Creek. Nathaniel Barney had purchased half of the Guernsey Purchase, but he hadn't yet arrived there yet. But he arrived in 1833 with Netabaya Angel. Ezra would return around July of 1834. And he was a young land speculator, and he also was an attorney. And he quickly became interested in, in the affairs of the village. Sands McCamley was in the process of building the canal, and his father-in-law, of course, owned half of the Guernsey Purchase with him at that point in 1834. By November of 1835, the mill race was completed, and the first sawmill had gone into operation. During the time that he was in the area, Ezra canvas, took some time to explore other areas on foot outside of the Battle Creek area that was being developed with the mill race. And he explored the land about a mile and a half north of the city, which was on some rapids on the Battle Creek River. And he concluded that that location of those small rapids on the Battle Creek River was a great place to establish a mill. He could envision putting a dam there, building another mill race, and establishing a sawmill there and perhaps even a gristmill. So he immediately purchased the eight acres that surrounded it because it was available. And he considered that he was purchasing a village at that point. So he ventured on over also into the area of Augusta. And with Sans McCamley and another man by the name of Epaphroditus Ransom and two other men, Moses and Tolman Hall, they purchased a large tract of land in the area of the village of Augusta that we know today and dug a canal, established a mill, and they were all the original founders of the village of Augusta. So they established a milling operation there. Now, what's interesting about three of the founders of the village of Augusta, Ransom, McCamley, and convis all three would go on to serve in the state legislature. Epaphroditus Ransom would go on to become governor of the state of Michigan. He was the seventh governor of the state of Michigan in 1848. And Ezra Convis would go on to become the first speaker of the House of Michigan in 1837. So prior to the founding of the village of Augusta, Ezra Convas purchased Nathaniel Barney's one half of the Guernsey Purchase. So Sands McCamley and Ezra Convas were now the co-owners of the original Guernsey Purchase. And after the founding of the village of Augusta, and after he purchased the land in the Verona area in 1836, he sold out his half of the Guernsey Purchase. And the people that he sold it to was a man by the name of Jonathan Hart and three Merritt brothers, Abraham, Joseph, and Isaac Merritt. And they were all Quakers. And they had moved into the area, and they were interested in purchasing land to develop a farm of their own. And so Ezra, rather than sell them tracts of land, decided he wanted to get out of that whole Guernsey purchase and he sold it and he signed over the interests in the water power to Sands McCamley that he also had a controlling interest in the water power of the mill race with the condition that Sands McCamley would improve it and he did so. So at that point, Ezra Convass was out of the Guernsey Purchase, and Jonathan Hart and the Merritt brothers took over his half and began developing that area with Sands McCamley. Jonathan Hart would establish a mill, and the Merritt brothers would establish several farms in that area. If you're familiar with the Battle Creek area, the Merritt farms would be opposite the YMCA, and that whole area at one time was known as Merritt Woods, and there's even a street named Merritt and so forth in that area. And so back to Ezra canvas At this point, he put his full attention on establishing his own village. And he went and established the village of Verona on his eight-acre parcel of land. He built a sawmill. He built a gristmill. He built a dam. And he also built the mill race that he planned. So he had this great little established area. And... It went into operation by 1837. He had also sold some other smaller parcels of land and established some other operations that people came in and invested. And so the little village was quickly growing. And in 1837, it had a blacksmith shop. It had a tavern. It had two stores. One of them was at least a dry goods store. It had a small village doctor. It had a lawyer and had various other mechanics So this village was growing, and parcels of land were being sold. The sawmill was producing lumber so they could build houses, and he named the village Verona. Now, the original name of the word Verona comes from a village in Italy, but there's also a Verona, New York. So he likely borrowed that name from a village over in New York. A lot of the early villages... In Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana, that were established by New Yorkers, they borrowed names of villages or cities that had already been established. Example Athens. Athens village was borrowed from a name of Athens, New York, which obviously goes back to Athens, Greece. And so there was a lot of that sort of thing where they uh, would use a, an established name and they'd make the name of the village. So Verona it was, and that was how he called his new village. And Verona was quickly becoming a rival to Battle Creek. as Convas was becoming quite influential in the legislature at that time. He had been elected to the Speaker of the House in Michigan. And it was during his time as Speaker of the House that the determination of where the railroad was going to come in through southwest Michigan and through Calhoun County was being discussed And he would have been very influential in determining where it actually went. Unfortunately, in the winter of 1837 to 1838, he attended a wedding of a fellow legislator while he was in Detroit, which is where the state legislature was. It was actually the wedding of a tavern owner, and the tavern owner had invited him to the wedding of his daughter. And so basically he, as well as several other members of the legislature, went to this wedding. It was in the middle of winter. They were riding sleighs, being pulled by horses. And his sleigh flipped over on the way back from the wedding, going back to where he was staying at in Detroit. And he had a severe injury in this accident. And the only description of the injury I was able to find was that it was an injury to his side. And it was apparently very serious, to the degree that they sent for his wife. Now, whether his wife was over here in Battle Creek at that time, or she was staying with him when he was in the legislature in Detroit, I don't know. But she was sent for, and he actually died later that evening, or perhaps the following day, from his injuries in that sleigh ride. So that changed the future course of prosperity for the village of Verona. And in the wake of his death, several things happened. The railroad was determined in his absence, obviously, and it ended up going through Battle Creek. So that's one thing that changed the future trajectory of the village of Verona is the railroad was determined to go through Battle Creek. The other thing that happened was... A lot of the land that he had deeded in his establishing of the village of Verona wasn't properly done. And so there was a lot of uh, challenges to deeds in his passing. The records weren't well kept or were lost. And so the court systems were filled for about 15 years, settling issues related to land disputes over in Verona People that had purchased deeds of land from Ezra, and he hadn't yet filed the paperwork with the county, and he went off to go work in the state legislature. He was gone for months at a time, and he never got through any of his paperwork or his legal responsibilities with the plat sales of the village. And a lot of this was all a mess when his estate was sorted out. And there were several different court cases that went on for about 15 years following his passing. So that also kind of choked the village of Verona because the land ownership was an issue with a lot of the people there and they couldn't really move forward for a number of years. And Battle Creek basically overcame them Of course, the spirit of Ezra Convass pushing the whole project and trying to champion the village was gone. He was a roadmaker as well. He had been involved with uh, establishing some of the territorial roads and plank roads in the area. And so he was quite an industrious and energetic push behind the establishment of Verona. And suddenly he was gone, just like that. And he was a young man. He was in his 30s. So that was something that was a shock to the system, and the whole community of Verona. Now, Verona continued to exist on for many, many years independently, and somewhere in the 1930s, it was essentially absorbed by the city of Battle Creek. Today, there's a historic marker at the Verona School commemorating Ezra Convis and his establishment of the village of Verona. His gravesite was at the Convis Cemetery, or Verona Cemetery, that was off of East Avenue. And that is now the base of these power lines from Consumers Energy. And there's a rope going across it and you can't go up there. It's my understanding that the cemetery was moved and the graves were moved sometime after Consumers acquired the land, somewhere in the 60s, I believe. And they were apparently moved to Hicks Cemetery up in Penfield, That's the story that I was able to find. I didn't really find a whole lot of details about how that was done. There are a lot of mixed pieces of information when you try to search for Ezra Convass' grave. You won't find it on Find a Grave because there's really no definitive location as to where he was buried. He was speculated to have either been buried in the Verona Cemetery... And there are reports from people from that time that wrote letters to the editor that remembered seeing a grave marked as General Convass in that cemetery. And it was under a lilac bush. Whether that still exists up there, whether his headstone is gone. My understanding is all the headstones are gone from that area where the cemetery was. The other story that came out when I tried to find where he was buried was I mentioned that he may have been buried over in Detroit because that was where his accident had occurred. Either way, the exact location of where he's buried is not certain to this day. And if I do find that information, I will certainly mention it at a future episode on the podcast. Another thing that happened after he passed away is when he was killed at that time in the legislature, they were Platting one of the townships in Calhoun County, and they were getting ready to release that land and make it available. And when he died, they decided to name the township after him. And thus you have Convass Township, which was officially established the year following his death. And so Convass Township was named after Ezra canvas Sans McCamley, of course, went on to establish the village of Battle Creek and was a a key player in the development of business in that area. He also established the first bank along with another man, and he was a prominent figure in the community for a number of years, even donated McCamley Park to the city, and with the intention of that being the center of the city's uh, development and be the center of park in town. Other players that were involved, the Merritt brothers played a big role in um, abolitionism in the community. They brought their Quaker beliefs with them, and they were a big supporter of Sojourner Truth. Jonathan Hart established one of the first very successful mills in Battle Creek that went on for a number of years. And Nathaniel Barney, who was an innkeeper back in New York, he established a very successful inn just outside the city limits of Battle Creek and eventually moved it and established it farther down in the area of Bedford Township in Bedford. And he built a building that is still there. It went through a few different evolutions. like he remodeled it and rebuilt it a few different times. but the final structure is still there, and today it is a multifamily residence owned by some investors, and they rent out the rooms in what was once. Barney's Tavern. And you can still see it when you drive into the direction of Bedford off of Michigan Avenue. And Nathaniel Barney had made that a successful stagecoach stop. It was along the Plank Roads, as I've mentioned before in other podcast episodes. And he also had his sons running the mail route from Marshall to Battle Creek to Kalamazoo going on up into Hastings at one point. And so he was in charge of the mail route in this area. Uh, Oliver Barney was one of his sons that was doing that stagecoach driving, bringing the mail. And originally they they rode with wagons. And then as stagecoaches came into existence in Use. They carried passengers as well as the mail and it continued on that way until uh, Nathaniel Barney passed away. One of his sons took over the tavern. Another son went off and established a tavern up in the South Haven area or Muskegon area, became a prominent uh, hotel up in that area. And so it's just kind of an interesting connection to a lot of parts of southwest Michigan when you explore some of the histories of some of these early pioneer families. But sadly, Ezra Convass' legacy has has kind of been forgotten about in the community. He did have some children that um, moved out of the area. I think one wound up in Chicago. Another was somewhere else in the Midwest. And I'm not sure what happened to his wife following his passing. But that's going to conclude the founding of the village of Verona and the history behind that. I hope you found it somewhat interesting to learn about. Today, the area where the mills were is a small park in Battle Creek. There is a overlook that they have built. And when you go out to the overlook, there is... An area, like a little trail, you can go down to the river. If you go down that little trail, you look up at the base and foundation of the overlook, you will see the remains of the foundation of the old mill that this overlook was built on. And you can also see the portion of the dam that was built there that was built by Ezra Convis. And there are stones and pieces of concrete that are in the river when you go farther down, which are the remains of the old grist mill that once stood there, at least the foundations of it. And it's just kind of an interesting um, thing to explore when you walk down there. There's the linear path that goes right by there. Part of it's got a a little bit of a wooden walkway. And if you just look off in the areas of that, along Wagner Drive, you'll see remains of the old uh, foundation of the two different mills that were there. The mills stayed in existence until the mid 20s or 30s. I don't know exactly when they were torn down. There are pictures of them both standing there in 1908 available on the Willard Library website. For a long time in the 20s and 30s, there was a boat ramp that was established there, and there are pictures of that from that period. Um, They would have uh, a canoe rental, and you could go out and float around on the mill pond that was created on the river from the dam. And so that was part of the community there for a long time. And when it was finally torn down, I don't have the exact date of. It may have been as late as the 1950s, I'm not sure. And I haven't really looked into when it was demolished. But that is the history that I have for you today on the old village of Verona. And the heart of that village was the sawmill and the gristmill, which brought about the blacksmith shop and so forth. And there are some pictures of the old blacksmith shop on the Willard Library as well in Verona. And then, of course, the school was established. I think the school that stands there now is the second generation of the school. It wasn't originally a stone building like it is today. And Ezra Canvas's own personal residence was apparently up near Bailey Park because when they were putting the historic marker into place, in that story, the family who are the descendants of Ezra Convass wanted it placed at Bailey Park because that was closer to where he actually lived in Verona area. But the marker ended up being placed at the Verona school, which was closer to the heart of the village anyways. So. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the history of the village of Verona. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take some time to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. And certainly be sure to leave a rating on that at the same time. And if you would like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.